Well, good morning. Good morning. There we go. That's a little better. It's good to have you with us here at Faith Baptist Church as we go to God's Word and we look to see what it says about the creation of the world. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 this morning. And uh, as we're beginning our look at the book of Genesis, uh, I want to... Genesis is a large book, so I don't want to be in it for the next 10 years. But at the same time, as we come to Genesis, we have a lot of foundational uh, truths that we find there. And so we want to take our time a little bit, especially with these first couple chapters, and address some issues that are pertinent for our day. Because what we believe about Genesis affects what we believe about many different things. And so this morning, we're going to look at creation and evolution, okay? And, and at some point in the past, I received this question, so just let me read this to you. The sciences are becoming more and more prominent as a result of well-publicized advances through medical cures, cloning, archaeology, etc. More people are believing in what scientists have to say about the beginning of man through evolution, and also the false belief that we can control our destiny through science. I also find these arguments to be compelling at times. Can you talk about our biblical beginnings and how they differ from the proof, the quote-unquote proof, science offers that human forms existed before the Garden of Eden and the various theories of evolution of man? So, just kind of to summarize that, we we have what the Bible tells us to be true, and what Jesus confirmed that he believed was what the Genesis account gives us. Yet, what we find is that Genesis 1-1 is a very controversial passage. And in it we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And also, along with it, another controversial passage is found in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Multiple generations have been trained in the public schools to accept evolution as fact. And many theologians and churches have adopted some form of evolutionary creation in order to appease their status within the scientific community and in the public square. And I would say the first thing we need to consider is just does it matter? Does it matter what we believe about creation? Does it really matter that God created everything? Or could it be that God, contrary to what we find in the scriptures that we just read, created everything through a process of evolution. What's the difference? Well, in a video entitled, Creationism is Not Appropriate for Children, by Bill Nye, many of you will know him or recognize his name as Bill Nye the Science Guy, in a video that he had, again, entitled, Creationism is Not Appropriate for Children, he said this, Evolution is the fundamental idea in all of life science, in all of biology. If you try to ignore that, your worldview just 
untenable, itself inconsistent. And I say to the grown-ups, if you want to deny evolution and live in your world, in your world that's completely inconsistent with everything we observe in the universe, that's fine. But don't make your kids do it because we need them. We need scientifically literate voters and taxpayers for the future. We need people that can. We need engineers that can build stuff, solve problems. It's just really hard a thing. It's really a hard thing. You know, in another couple of centuries, that worldview, I'm sure, will be, it just won't exist. There's no evidence for it. So according to Bill Nye, to be a literate voter, you need to believe in evolution. And to be a creator, an inventor, you need to be an evolutionist. He's kind of ignoring observed history for thousands of years, as we've had many who were not evolutionists, who have invented and created throughout the years. But he sees it as an important issue. There, <clears throat> there was the well-known humanist Nitsky stated this accurately. If God is dead, then all values died with him. If God is dead, then all moral values died with him. There was an eminent scientific philosopher and an ardent Darwinist. Uh, he was an atheist named Michael Ruse. He has acknowledged that evolution is their religion. He said this, Evolution is promoted by its practitioners as more than mere science. Evolution is promulgated as an ideology, a secular religion, a full-fledged alternative to Christianity with meaning and morality. Evolution is a religion. This was true of evolution in the beginning, and it is true of evolution still today. Our beliefs about creation undergird our complete worldview, you see. No matter what your philosophy is on a multiple, uh, a multiple number of subjects, it is affected by your view of creation. Abortion, euthanasia, embryonic stem cell research, and even government. We find this in the Declaration of Independence of the United States of America. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. To the founders of our country, it was important that there was a creator because it was the creator who gave the rights, not the government. The government defended rights that were given by the creator. So you see, our view on creation is very important. So, with the propensity of uh, teaching out there on evolution, let's look this morning at some of the theories, creation theories, that uh, make attempts to reconcile uh, what is claimed by science and then what is claimed by the Bible. <clears throat> it's, these are the apparent age of the earth with the biblical record. And uh, I have these on your handout there. These definitions are taken from uh, the book called Christian Theology, the second edition by Millard Erickson. It's a systematic theology. First up is the gap theory. The gap theory holds that there was an original, quite complete creation of the earth, perhaps billions of years ago. 
This would be where they would consider the dinosaurs and things like that. Then in between verses 1 and 2 of the Bible, some sort of catastrophe occurred uh, so that the creation became empty and unformed. God then recreated the earth a few thousand years ago in a period of six days, populating it with all the species. The apparent age of the earth and the fossil records showing development over long periods of time are to be attributed to the first creation. The catastrophe there is often linked to the fall of Satan, although we don't have scriptural uh, backing for that. That's normally where they put it. So now that's one theory of creationism that tries to, to uh, make sense of the apparent age of the earth. Uh, some of the problems with this theory <clears throat> is it's not necessarily a normal reading of the text. And then we have Romans 5.12, <clears throat> which is a problem for this. Because if, if there was a previous creation and there was dinosaurs and all these things and then everything died, uh, then we have death prior to sin. And so in Romans 5.12 we read, Paul writes there, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man... And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So this verse is kind of a problem with the gap theory. Now, <clears throat> there may be some variations of the gap theory. I'm sure there are that have other explanations. But it seems that death, Adam's sin, brought death to this world. And so that's, an, that's, an, that's a problem with this theory. The next theory we see is the flood theory. <clears throat> the flood theory views the earth as only a few thousand years old. And at the time of Noah, the earth was covered by a tremendous flood with huge waves with a velocity of a thousand miles an hour. These waves picked up various forms of life. The mud in which these forms were eventually deposited was solidified into rock under the tremendous pressure of the waves. These unusual forces accomplished in a short period what geologists would believe ordinarily require three billion years to accomplish. Um, <clears throat> and so pressures of the floodwaters, you, you, you understand what pressures is. If you remember diving into the deep end of the pool, what your, your ears begin to hurt the, the lower you get in the water. Why is that? It's because there's more and more water putting pressure upon them. And so now, if we begin to imagine what would the pressure of billions of tons of water <clears throat> sweeping across the surface of the earth, what kind of pressure would that bring upon life and upon <clears throat> the ground? So that's one theory as to how all these things came to be in the fossil record. And Quite honestly, I think it's Ken Ham has said something similar to this. It's not an exact quote, but if we, were to, if we were to say that there was life on earth and then there came a huge flood, uh, as we began to dig in the earth, what would we expect to find? Billions and billions of dead things, right? And so that's what we find in the fossil record. Uh, billions and billions of dead things in unusual places. <clears throat> I remember watching a documentary one time. There was a guy up in the mountains somewhere in, in America. I want to say Montana, but I'm not sure. 
uh, and he was in the shale rock up on a mountain, and he was studying sharks. In fact, I think it was Shark Week that was going on. And, and he's like, I'm studying sharks, and I'm just like, nobody ever think about how that shark got up on top of the mountain? Right? Anyway. <clears throat> Something else that we would note as far as the flood goes uh, prior to the flood, lifespans were very long. As, we, as you read through the genealogies of, of Genesis, we have men and women who were living uh, seven, eight, even 900 years before they would die. And uh, their lifespans were very long. Yet after the flood, we see lifespans decrease very rapidly after that. There's a couple explanations for that. One might be that uh, due to the genes that were passed on through Noah's sons. Also, we could have had the development of viruses. Or it could be due to a dramatic change in the environment. Uh, In other words, the earth prior to the flood was a much more ideal situation. And we would kind of think, if we think from a creation standpoint... We would think, well, the earth would start out in a very good state, but then it would deteriorate because of sin. So we start very good, and we deteriorate over time. And then after the flood, there seems to be some kind of drastic change in the environment. And I find it interesting that when we, when we hear about the destruction of dinosaurs, uh, they, their theory is, is that a meteorite hit the earth, and there was a dramatic change in the environment. Well, what else could have caused a dramatic change in the environment? I don't know. Millions of tons of water flooding the earth. So there are different theories, but it would, regardless, it would seem that earth and humanity, which began in ideal conditions, has been deteriorating over the ages. And now in our days, certainly, we have modern medicines and diets and vaccines that help us in our battle against the effects of the fall in order that we can live longer lives. But, you know, just over 100 is about the maximum we're seeing, right? Certainly not in the 800-year range. Some problems with the flood theory. Perhaps it's too much of a strain on the geological evidence. There's different theories about that, different questions about that. We're not going to go into all that today, but... That's a possible problem with the uh, flood theory. Next item, or next theory, is the ideal time theory. The ideal time theory. It says that God created the world in a six-day period a relatively short time ago, but that he made it as if it were billions of years old. Okay, so uh, Adam's age at creation would be his ideal age. And also the age of everything around it would be an ideal age. I I prefer to use the word mature, mature age. For instance, on on day four, when God creates the the vegetation and and that type of thing, uh, certainly there were fruit trees, right? So how long does it take for a fruit tree to produce fruit? What was that? Long time? Yeah, I know... When I bought my fruit tree, they had actually spliced in a, a more mature tree so that it would bear fruit quicker. But we're still waiting two to three years for a tree to produce fruit. Okay, So the, what we're told, though, is that the trees were already bearing fruit. So they were created in a mature state. 
Now, if we were to look at the trees back in the Garden of Eden when God created them, would we expect to find growth rings? We would, right? Not because they grew that way, but because growth rings are integral to a tree being able to stay upright, right? Like if, if, we, if we go back and we say, well, you know, the fruit trees, didn't, they, they were producing fruit, but they didn't have any growth rings, they would probably would have just went, you know, and fallen over. So I think the, it's a reasonable assumption that the fruit trees would have growth rings in them, okay? They would have the appearance of being multiple years old, yet in reality, they were only a few days old. Does that make sense? Same thing with Adam, right? How old, how old did Adam appear to be on day one? Mature enough to reproduce, right? You know, my joke is, is that Adam had to be at least 20 because when God created him, he said all things were very good and it's just really hard to believe that a teenager would be part of a good creation. <laughs> now to all the teenagers, we have fine, good teenagers here at Faith Baptist Church, by the way. But he's, 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 not, he's not an infant, Right? There's nobody there to care for him and Eve. And so I believe God created them in a mature state. They were able to reproduce, so at least in their mid-teens. So they are created. So on, on day three of creation, or not day three, let's move on up, day ten. Day ten of creation, Adam and Eve are now literally four days old, but they have the appearance of being how many years old? are more mature than their actual age. They are created at an ideal time or at a mature age. Now, if we have a fruit tree that, has, that was created mature so that it could produce and bear fruit, and we have a man that was created to be mature and to be life-sustaining, uh, and, and we have him created at that age, how old does the earth have to appear to be? Now, this I don't know. I don't have an answer. I don't know how mature earths are, but my guess is is that God's created it with the appearance of being billions of years old, right? So we have that, and then we have the solar system and the star, the sun and the stars, and all these things are created in a mature state or an ideal time factor, Okay. And so the earth and, and the stars would have an apparent age to them that God created them, what I call created them in motion. He created a universe already working. And that only makes sense, right? I mean, if you were to, if you were to uh, create something, God says, well, I want to create man on the earth, but first I need to create a sustainable universe for him, and it's going to take several billion years well, why wait? You're God, right? <laughs> you can just create it. And you would say, well, why? it seems deceptive that he would create it that way. I, I, I beg to differ. It's exactly like he said, right? We can observe that it takes a while for fruit trees to produce fruit, and yet he created trees that were producing fruit. And we can say the same thing about mankind, and, and so it just follows that it would be the same thing for the earth. And so, uh, 
I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. That's okay, it's a train wreck sometimes. <laughs> but he's created it in motion. He is not a deceiver. That's where I was. He's not a deceiver. He's created it so that we can study the earth. Right? If we were to study the earth and we were to look at how, how, how long is a light year, well, if he, if he created it, he wanted the stars to be visible for us, right? So he created it in motion to where the light's already traveled to be here with us. So he's not a deceiver by any way, any means. He's created a world in which we can study it and see how things work. It's also why I believe Adam and Eve also had a belly button. But we can debate that. You can debate that over lunch, okay? But just the same reason I think trees had growth rings, I think Adam and Eve had belly buttons. Even though they didn't have any parents. Okay, so now the next theory is the age-day theory. Now we're getting into theories that do not... Uh, we, we're, later we're going to talk about our statement of faith here at Faith Baptist Church. The age-day theory does not uh, fit within what we would say the Bible speaks of clearly. <clears throat> but the age-day theory is based upon the fact that the word Hebrew, the Hebrew word yom, while it is most frequently meant as a 24-hour period, it is not limited to that meaning. It can also mean epochs or long periods of time, and that is how it should be understood in this context. This view holds that God created in a series of acts over long periods of time, and that the geological and fossil records correspond to the days of his creative acts. Now the problem with that is, is that God seems to give us a very apparent uh, thing when he says when it was morning and it was evening the first day. I mean, that seems to just say, well, this is a day, right? I'm, I'm not really to read into that, that, oh, that means 10 million years passed. That, that doesn't make sense. So I don't think it fits with Genesis, nor does it fit with the passage in Romans 5.12 that we spoke about earlier. So that's the age-day theory, vast, large periods of time. The pictorial day, or sometimes called the literary framework theory, these are similar. It says the pictorial day theory regards the days of creation as more a matter of logical structuring than of chronological order. Either God's revelation of creation came to Moses in a series of six pictures, or the author arranged the material in a logical grouping that took the form of six periods. So it's kind of like, well, God gave this as six pictures, was the six days of creation for Moses, and so he just simply recorded what he said. But if you look on the, on the back of your paper, I put there Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, it just doesn't seem to fit the natural reading of the text because God makes a statement here in Exodus about the Sabbath, and it's dependent upon six literal days. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, he says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So he's, he's saying the reason for keeping the Sabbath day holy is because he did this work in six days, not six pictorial days. Okay, so which theory is best? Which theory is best? Well, I personally believe that a combination of the flood theory and the ideal time theory is the best uh, theories as far as creation. The combination of these two gives sufficient explanation of the geological record. And uh, I've already spoke to you about God being a deceiver in creating it in ideal time. I believe that that's just what the scriptures tell us is that he created things in a mature state. He created a mature universe that was in motion. And if you have trouble with the lights, I mean, appearing on, uh, what was it, day, let's see, he filled, day five? He'd just create the stars and the lights coming. He he created it five days away, right? And then on the fifth day, pop, 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 they start showing up in in the sky. He created a world in motion. So then we have on your handout there, what do we believe here at Faith Baptist Church? We believe in the Genesis account of creation and that it is to be accepted literally and not allegorically or figuratively. That man was created directly in God's own image and after his own likeness. That man's creation was not a matter of evolution or evolutionary changes of species or developments through interminable periods of time from lower to higher forms. That all animal and vegetable life were made directly and God established and God's established law was that they should bring forth only after their kind. Now I want to take just a moment and speak to you about after their kind. In Genesis 1.11 and then in Genesis 1.24 and 25, God speaks about plant life and animal life reproducing after its kind. And what are we talking about there? Well, we're talking about, if, if you will, a difference between microevolution and macroevolution. So micro is like small changes. Macro is like huge changes. And so we, through horticulture, have developed new types of fruits and, and different things, splicing of, of, and cross-pollination and different things like that. We've created new types of fruits. We've got our own ruby, or not ruby red, it's the, the Rio Star grapefruit here in the Rio Grande Valley, developed uh, and native to here. Those are forms of microevolution. Right, it's a grapefruit. It's a little different than the ruby red grapefruit, but still grapefruit. Right, and we we've seen new species of dogs come into existence, crossbreeding and different things like that. And we've we've bred animals to be uh, herders and different things like that. So we have all these different species of dogs, but that's adaptation within a species. In other words, we didn't have, we didn't crossbreed two dogs and come up with a cat, right? Now, you may have a dog that kind of acts like a cat sometimes, but that's a whole different, it's a whole different discussion, and that's another, you can talk about that over lunch, okay? But what I'm saying is, is that 
Microevolution is adaptation within a species. It's something observable that we can see. Different types of birds developed from an original type of bird. And, and, and that's what we see even with humanity. What, what the world calls races, we believe in a human race because we've all descended from Adam. But the world would tell us that we have different races, different kinds of people. Well, that's through biology, separation, you know, groups of people, traits uh, reproducing within a people group and that type of thing. That's what we, these are observable things. That's microevolution. Macroevolution is drastic differences across species. You know, this is the, the evolutionist, you know, drawing the, the animal crawling out of the, there was a fish and then it crawled out of the sea and then it, then it started to walk upright and then it changed from a lizard to a monkey and then a monkey to a gorilla and to, from a gorilla to a man and that, that type of thing. And, and we, you know, one of the fun, I saw within the past couple of years they, they were saying something that a Tyrannosaurus rex is like the same as a chicken. And I'm like, well, I've been flogged by a chicken. But sure didn't seem like a dinosaur attacked me, right? Anyway, drastic differences across species. We, we, I, just don't, I just don't think it's logical even to say that a frog eventually became a man. And an evolutionist might say, well, no, 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 that's not happening. Well, you know, that's certainly what they seem to promote, right? So we had this one big family tree that all animals came from, and that's just not that's just not how it happened. So, as Christians, we believe in a microevolution. Those are things that we can see, and and even through our own tinkering as humans with species of of plant life and of animal life, we've seen this happen, but not macroevolution. One of the major concerns I have with evolution is. Since man is evolving, then some people are more evolved than others. That could be claimed. Therefore, some are more important or better than others. But creation teaches us that we all carry God's image from the least to the greatest, the dumbest to the smartest, the most disabled to the most healthy. All are precious in his sight. The image of God in man matters. And Lord willing, we'll look at that uh, the next time we are in Genesis. We'll look more into the image of man. But for now, suffice it to say, God created everything. That's what the scriptures tell us. And everything we observe in the physical world is temporary. And it had a beginning. Okay, that Science observes that. Everything in the physical world is temporary, and it had a beginning. From solar systems, planets, and humans, all of us had a cause that brought us into existence. But we don't last forever. Everyone has a father and a mother who had a father and a mother who had a father and a mother. But who caused the first father and mother? Well, I would say to you this morning that God is the uncaused cause. If everything physical had a cause and is temporary, then the logical place to look for how did it all begin as a starting point would be an eternal being who was spiritual, who started all the physical and temporary. 
That eternal spiritual being is the God of the Bible. He is the uncaused cause. Hebrews 3, 4 says this, Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And science can give testimony that God is the creator. But science will never prove the existence of a creator. We can look at creation and attest to his glory that God brought all this into existence, but we, we're not going to have some DNA tests or, or some observable thing that we can prove that there is a God. And that's why it says in Hebrews 11.3, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen, what is physical and temporary, was not made out of things that are visible. We have an eternal spiritual creator who brought the physical world into existence. And not everyone is convinced by science. As more information is revealed as to the complexity of a single cell organism and DNA, there are even some atheists who are changing their minds. Anthony Newton Flew was a British philosopher uh, he belong, I'm reading from his Wikipedia page. Belonging to the analytic and evidentialist school of thought, he is notable for his works on the philosophy of religion. He was a strong advocate of atheism. And he then, towards the end of his life, changed his mind to the idea of deism. Now, that's not to say he became a Christian, okay? I want to be clear about that. But he came to believe that it had to have been started by a God of some form. And he, he said this, My one and only piece of relevant evidence for God is the apparent impossibility of providing a naturalistic theory of the origin from DNA of the first re reproducing species. In fact, the only reason which I have for beginning to think of believing in a first cause God is the impossibility of providing a naturalistic account of the origin of the first reproducing organisms. Here are two more concessions by evolutionists. Edmund Ambrose <clears throat> said this, we have to admit that there's nothing in the geological records that runs contrary to the view of conservative creationists. And then Sir Fred Hoyle said this, the notion that the operating program of a living cell could be arrived at by chance in a primordial soup here on earth is evidently nonsense of a high order. And so, beloved, when, when you are mocked for your belief, which you will be, you know, there are college professors that will mock you students when you're in college for believing in creation. But remember what this fellow said. His name is G.K. Chesterton. He was a, a Catholic writer and Christian apologist. He said this, It is absurd for the evolutionist to complain that it is unthinkable for an admittedly unthinkable God to make everything out of nothing and then pretend that it's more thinkable that nothing should turn itself into anything. <laughs> Where did it come from? Right? It, like, even if they could take dirt and perform some chemical function on it through some great process and see some form of life come from it, it's like, well, get your own dirt. Right? 
So why do these educated people promote the theory of evolution so tenaciously? Motivations can only be known by God. Okay? But we do have some scriptures for why people reject the notion of a creator. It's for the same reason they reject Jesus. Because if there's a creator who made it all, then there's somebody we have to answer to. They reject Jesus. Notice what Jesus said. If you want to turn to John chapter 3, verse 19. John chapter 3, verse 19. I've also put it on the back of your handout. John chapter 3. Jesus is speaking here and he's using Genesis language of himself. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Now he's speaking of himself. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Just as God brought light into the world in the Genesis creation, so Jesus brought the light of righteousness and salvation from sin into the world. But people reject Jesus because they love their sin. People reject creationism because they reject God and his word. Yet just prior to John 3.19, we find John 3.16. John 3.16 through 19. For God so loved the world. This world that was fallen in sin and rejecting his rule and reign in their life. God loved them in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. This is the condemnation. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And you may have come here this morning for whatever reason you came here, but this morning you've realized that there is a creator God that you'll have to answer to one day. But yet this creator God has loved you in your rebellion so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for your sins so that his wrath against your sins could be diverted to his son whom he resurrected so that if you place your faith in his resurrected son as the lord of this universe you will be saved from his wrath you will be given eternal life won't you repent of your sins and believe on jesus christ as the lord of your life this morning god did create everything and God also judges sin God will judge every man on the great judgment day but we have a message of hope that through Jesus Christ we can have forgiveness of sin and pardon from judgment if you've never trusted Christ as your savior I urge you today make that decision make that decision and if you're here and you are a a creationist Christian Go out and take the message of Jesus. Because you can argue about creation all day, but the fact of the matter is, there's also a resurrection. 
We believe that there was a man named Jesus who walked this earth and he never sinned. And he died and God resurrected him from the dead. We believe in a resurrected Savior. I hope that you will as well. Pastor Dad, won't you come and pray? For those that are being baptized, we'd encourage you to go and prepare for that. Let's pray. Father, we are encouraged to read in the Word of God about creation. Lord, to think that uh, the God of this universe that's in control of all things and sovereign over all these things would make a universe that is actually so wonderful for us to live in. Lord, for us to be able to even observe in our own lives and throughout our own days that we have how beautiful your creation is, how wonderful uh, many things are, Lord, we observe the beauty and wonder of our Creator. But Lord, we also have seen, as we live, we've seen the effects of sin on this creation and how often we and many others love sin more than we love the Creator, as the Word of God said. I pray, Lord, you would help us to see the folly of sin, the foolishness of rejecting Jesus and rejecting the Word of God. And I pray that you would open our eyes to see you more clearly, that you would actually open the eyes of the blind today that may be here that have not trusted you. Lord, some may be even rejecting you now in their heart, thinking this is the most foolish thing they've ever heard. I pray, Lord, that you would work in their heart to see that Jesus is real and he's alive. And I pray that they would be able to trust in, them, in him for their sins to be removed. Lord, we're thankful that we get to see those that are going to be baptized follow you in obedience. Lord, I pray that we would also, as we go from here today, follow you in obedience. Lord, for those of us that have followed you in a baptism, I pray that we would live out our faith and make that clearly known to the world, that we would boldly proclaim Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for each one that's being baptized, but even thank you so much for even some of those in our church here that have been willing to share the gospel with friends and family that didn't know you as their Savior. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to continue to talk about Christ, to exalt Christ, and make Christ great and magnified. Lord, help us to rest in you, and I pray that our hearts would be settled on you and your goodness. As we sing, I pray that we would uplift our voices to give you honor and praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.